We're in the second week of this series called In the Beginning. And today's message, I kind of feel like it's one of those messages where I'm trying to act like I'm smarter than I actually am. And so we'll give it a shot, though, see how it goes. Uh, We turn to Romans chapter 8 where Paul uh, refers to what you might call the, oh, the, the workings of or our experience in the created world. And, and he says this, and he's pointing towards a future as well. And he says this, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory about to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning in labor pains until now, and not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly while we wait for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. For in hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what is seen? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Join me in a prayer. Gracious God, be with us as we walk through what we might think of as the underpinnings of our experience in the world you created the world we live, the world we see. Give us a sense of that so that we might, in fact, have a sense of how we are to live in it. Basically, our prayer is that you speak to us today. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation on our hearts be acceptable. Amen. All right, so last week we started off this series by reading the first words of Genesis, you know, in the beginning when God created the heavens and the earth. And we spoke of how that reveals to us a God who is, as we put it, eternally committed to the monotony of creating. And not only that, but a God who takes delight in creation. We use this, we put it this way, we said God continuously makes things because God continues to love the things that God makes. In fact, we talked about the first chapter of Genesis being a song, a hymn that sings of the delight God takes in giving life. And it, it, and you, you kind of do all that and it, it has this sense of wonder and this romantic kind of joy-filled 
feeling, like a nostalgic kind of, and just, it's a good feeling, right? That we are, in fact, in the presence of a God like that. Today, we're going to talk about the backside of that a little bit, because that's not the whole picture. Life is not always nostalgic and romantic and wonderful and smooth and Life is bumpy, life is messy, life is hard, life is filled with times of pain and, and hardship, right? And in fact, we go through seasons of life that are more that than anything else. And those are the times when we can struggle with our faith and yet are called upon uh, to have faith more than any other time. So, so life's just, it's not smooth. In fact, it's, it's filled with tension. The world is filled with tension. We see it all the time. I don't even have to tell you that, right? Evening news, Facebook conversations. We almost are afraid to sometimes put out an opinion because it's just going to go, you know, here instead of just right here. Shouldn't it be okay? No, it's going to go here. Just this tense sense of the world. Why is that? What is that about? So to try to get in an answer, we're not going to fully answer it. That's kind of part of the mystery of it. But to try to get in an answer, we have to do some of what we did last week, which is to let go of some of the assumptions that we bring to our understanding of the created world and the world around us. And, and there are two that we're going to lift up. And that's, and then really, that's what the spiritual life is all about. Following Christ is quite often so much about shedding ourselves of all the junk we bring so that it gets down to some, something real, right? That's, that's a spiritual thing. It's what following Jesus entails. So we're going to have to try to shed a couple of ways of thinking, and and it's not easy. And I owe a lot of this to uh, biblical scholar N.T. Wright, who is one of those scholars that uh, I just love him. I mean, he irritates everybody, which, I mean, he irritates liberals and he irritates conservatives, and that's that's why I like anybody that can pull that off is, is good in my book. And he's just one of those that he, if he's doing that, he may be on to something. That's kind of where I go. But I owe a lot of this to, to his, his work. And he makes a compelling argument that one of the first things we need to let go of in the way of our assumptions about the world is the myth of progress. The myth of progress. Not progress. The myth of progress. Well, that's a, that's a toughie, <laughs> but I think he's on to some. This idea that the human project, and in fact the creation, the cosmic project, is would and should and will continue to grow and improve and produce unlimited human potential as it marches towards utopia. 
the myth of progress, right? That progress is the whole thing. It's the myth of progress. That this world can, in fact, become everything it's supposed to be through our education and, and hard work, that that's it, that's the whole of it right there. And then in fact, we're on that path, this progress, this progressive path that in and of itself is the key to our own salvation, so to speak, right? The thing about that though is progress for progress sake ultimately falls short because it leaves no room for any need of anything from God in other words we don't need God to create anything new no new creation from God we're creating it we're doing it And that is the problem because we create all kinds of stuff. Some of it is really, really good and actually has progress. But isn't it funny? And we really know this. We're just, we struggle to admit it, but we really know this to be true. With each new thing comes some new threat. With each improvement comes an improved ability to harm which is actually no progress at all when you're speaking of the whole and that's where it falls it 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 fails to take into account the reality of evil that's the short of it progress for progress sake that will somehow the world will in and of its own steam move into some type of utopia fails to take into account the reality of evil. As Wright puts it, he says, where, pro, where the myth of progress falls short is it underestimates the power of evil itself as something that needs to be acknowledged and therefore also discounts the power and importance of the cross. God's no to evil that opens the door for God's yes to creation. So progress for progress's sake is a myth and we need to let it go. Doesn't mean that we don't have good progress in things. That's important and good. But it's not the full answer. The other one is, for me, a little easier, but also deeply kind of ingrained, particularly in Western Christianity. The other one is the idea that the world is is wicked and that we need to escape it. And that the tension we feel is a sign of that very thing, that we're not really meant for this world. We're meant for... A better world, as if we're, you know, visiting just for a while. And that we don't have really any need of this world. That we're bound for a better world. And it's really nothing about this world. 
at all. As if when God created the world and called it good, well, it was just a nice thing to say. But not really for real. And the problem with this one is kind of obvious, but very real, is that if we're just passing through, just visiting, we're really not meant for this place, that the world wasn't actually created for anything other than just kind of a, an experiment gone bad, as if God can't create exactly the world God desires, then why should we care about it? I mean, what's the big deal if we're just passing through and we're really not meant to be here anyway? I mean, why try to take care of it? Why try to learn about how we affect or don't affect the world around us, even when we get it right and when we get it wrong, which we do both? Why, you know, who cares? We just waste everything and kind of just mess up everything and destroy everything and use up everything. I mean, no big deal. After all, we're meant for another world, not, not this one. And our groaning, the inward groaning, as Paul puts it, is the sign of that. And it just says, yeah, see the tension you feel? It just shows you that you're not even supposed to be here anyway. You're just in a foreign place, and you feel that, and that's all. So, as Wright puts it, he puts it this way, and it stings a little. He says, Western Christianity has made the, misread the assumption of what the purpose of the Christian life is, and that the purpose of the Christian life is not just the goal of going to heaven that creates this inevitable dismissal of the world that we live in now that is in fact created by God. And it just dismisses that altogether and misreads scriptures that actually don't say that and reads them as if they do, like the text we read a minute ago or other places where Paul says things like, you know, all our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day, as if God doesn't really care about the outer at all. It has nothing. It don't, who cares about that? It's all about the inward nature, not about anything else. And this world's really just kind of a trash heap anyway, and we just rest stop in this horrible place along the way toward grander things and a spiritual state of bliss and all of that. And, and he says that too is something we need to let go of. So what then? If we're not on, if we're not progressing ultimately into something you know, and that our groaning there is just growing pains in our progression, then, then what is it? If we're not just, you know, visiting for a while and needing to escape the world altogether and all of that, and our pain and our tension is just a sign of that existence, then what is it? What, how do we look at the world and the life that we live and the tension that we feel? And this is what brings us right back to what we just read a second ago. 
And there's a line in there that really gets at the heart of what early Christians believed in the spiritual sense and where right and I think they get it onto something. And that is this line that says, Paul puts it this way, I'm kind of summarizing it, but Paul says in what we read, we wait with eager longing, right? Remember that line? We wait with eager longing for creation itself to be set free, not of its own will, but of the will of the one who subjected it. So, not creation itself, the whole of creation, so not us. It's not, it's not just us, meaning we're just visiting. And creation, not of its own will, meaning not through some kind of state of grand progression, is it of its own steam going to get to some blissful utopia place. But instead, all of creation, waiting with eager longing for God to birth a new creation. That's why he uses birth as the analogy. Something brand new that both involves where we are, but is also something completely new from it. That comes not from within, but from outside. That's, and, and that's kind of getting at it. And the tension we feel is the difference between where we're living now and this hope in what we are believed to ha- be happening, but don't see it yet. That's the early Christians. They didn't believe we were vastly improving all the time to some great state of something down the road. They also didn't believe creation itself was getting worse and worse and worse. No, they relied upon, they believed in the goodness of creation. They also recognized the reality of evil in the world and they acknowledged the need of God to act anew, to do something new, to birth something New, And that was their hope. In fact, they went so far as to say that God would do for the whole cosmos what God does for Jesus Christ on Easter morning. And that's the tension between what we see in the world and what we are, we are convinced that it will happen in the unseen that hasn't happened yet. We feel this tension. In fact, that's what a Christian is. A Christian is a person who stands in between the seen and known world and the unseen world in which we believe in and have hope in. We do it all the time. I mean, we do, when we do a baptism, we're doing one later this morning, when we come to this font and we stand in front of this thing and lift up water, we talk We mention water, but it's not about water. What do we say when we're doing it? We say, here's what God is doing. You just can't see it really. And we take that baby and we actually believe that that baby dies and is born to new life in Christ. That that's actually What's going on? And that's what makes Christians weird people. (laughs) We're weird. We're odd. We actually believe that's what's happening. How strange. How beautiful. 
how powerful, how tense. The tension we feel is there because we see the world that we live in. And we believe in the world as well that God is birthing. And we stand between those places. And we feel the tension of collision as God intervenes again and again and again with a new creation that is but is not yet. Paul really had it right. We hope for things we cannot see. And we wait for it with patience. Amen.